This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. Today on the show, Emily Pepito and I are going to be answering some of your biggest questions. We did a giveaway recently celebrating the one-year anniversary of the Restoration Home podcast, and there were so many amazing questions that came in as comments on that post. Thank you for sharing. We love hearing from you. And so I'm excited to hear some of these questions, and Emily and I are going to tag back and forth asking and answering the questions. Thanks for joining me today, Emily. Thank you for having me. Always lovely to be on. I love this first question that is, we made a note of all the questions and it says, I'd love an episode on beginner tips for first generation homemakers or moms who are never taught simple things like cooking or sewing. We want to be more hands-on, but don't know where to start, especially for those that don't have that kind of homesteading lifestyle. I love that question. And Emily, you're a good example of this because my, I was a little bit of a latchkey kid. You know, we lived in the country and my mom's a super gardener. And so I did have some really good basic gardening skills and I watched my mom cook. But because she worked when I was like a teen and adolescent, I didn't know anything about sewing or cooking or baking and kind of taught myself as I went. But you've really surpassed me. You're quite the like hobbyist in learning how to do everything. Talk a little bit about how you learn to embroider, bake sourdough bread, propagate plants, grow gardens, butcher animals, all the stuff that you do. I think it helps that there's some interest in there to start. And I think I do, I, many of the things that I do, like butchering animals, was something that I um, initiated. And because we had that extra rooster and I wanted to, to get rid of it. But I think I definitely know that. I'm not quite a first generation because I grew up in that 90s movement of like back to home, back to like having a hope chest of sort of being very focused on like being a homemaker, being a wife, being a mother. And so I definitely, I think from early on had the idea of like, oh, like you need to be able to cook and sew and do these sort of basic things that were in the like the girl's handbook to life or whatever. The thing that we were going through then was I think in terms of some of the stuff that I've gone on to teach myself, I really enjoy making things beautiful. And I think from some of my friends who maybe had, who would feel more of a first generation, it you have to just start really simple, I think is the big thing and keep it, keep it basic. And so knowing how to make some really wholesome meals, starting to educate yourself in like what is nutrition, listening to some great podcasts. There's some great short podcasts out there. There's longer podcasts. Um, also, being being mindful that Instagram is not actually home making. It's home decorating and it's like home posing, which is slightly different than like the basic home making. I think having realistic expectations and and then just getting excited about it and, and testing it. And, and really, at the end of the day, homemaking at the core is about um, creating a, a space that the people you love most feel at rest and have both their souls and their bodies and their spirits nurtured and nourished. And so kind of having the basic idea of what homemaking is and then your basic philosophy around that and, and growing in the skills that you need to 
um, support that. Like not everybody needs to butcher chickens to be a homemaker or even grow a garden to be a homemaker or maybe even make sourdough to be a homemaker. And so kind of understanding what you mean by it and going from there. That's so good, Emily. I love that you really did take the little mustard seed of information that you've been given and kept going with it. It is true. You did grow up in that kind of uh, lifestyle. Like we were old school homeschoolers. We, I did a bread making class for people who were learning about Y2K. I don't know if you remember that back in 1999, there was like um, this big resurgence in skills because everyone thought that the computers were all going to shut down and we were going to go back to homestead days. And so we, your dad and I, we were like, we bought wheat and a wheat grinder and we were definitely going after some of those skills then. And then also because, you know, my parents didn't have a lot, I think it kind of gave us that idea that you could use what you had or make do. And I love that it's been a value that you've continued is, you know, you're so creative with your embroidery or painting, or you just do a really good job of minimizing screens in your life and maximizing creativity. And I hope more people will take that on because it is easy. Instagram is such a, um, it's such a draw. It's so easy to just watch other people's creativity. But I think even just making a creativity habit where every week you decide to learn something new, maybe it'll be dipping beeswax candles or even just rolling beeswax candles if you have little ones or learning how to sew on a button. But if you just made a goal of every week or even every month trying some new homemaking skill, whether it's making bread or pie crust or biscuits, or there's just so many things that we can do. And obviously most of the cooking and baking things that we can do ourselves are going to be a little bit healthier and a little bit more economical as well. So I am curious, was homemaking, I don't think I've ever asked you this, was homemaking something that you specifically set out to learn? Or do you think that you had enough of like a foundation of like, oh, I'm staying at home, I need to do X, Y, and Z? Or were you really intentional in those early years of like becoming more of a homemaker? Yeah, I I love that question, Emily, because I was a avid student of all things motherhood. And to me, homemaking was part of that because, and, and you know, it's funny because at the time before Instagram, I didn't know much about home decorating. You know, that wasn't really a priority. It wasn't so much about making things beautiful for other people to see because nobody saw it. It was more, how can I make my home comfortable for my family? And that did involve, you know, learning how to bake bread from scratch or learning how to, like I sewed matching dresses for you and I when you were a baby. (laughs) They're kind of ridiculous looking, but I did it. And, you know, sewing dolls together, that was a really special memory. So it was definitely something I set out to learn and, and, I didn't, like I said, my mom worked, so she didn't really teach me aside from gardening, which was her passion. She didn't necessarily teach me those skills. I saw that she was a hard worker. And so that was the one thing she really modeled that work is beautiful. But I read books like Edith Schaefer's Hidden Art of Homemaking, or I, I had that big Carla Emery book of homestead skills. So we, and now it, that is the one nice thing about the internet is you can find out how to do anything online. Yeah. And I love that you were doing it for us. I think that's really beautiful. And I think that kind of goes back to the 
the whole knowing knowing kind of why you want to homemake and also trying to detach yourself from any external pressure because it really should be about also just the enjoyment of learning the skills rather than any pressure to perform at a certain level. Oh, I love that so much. And, you know, we we just were listening to a speaker the last couple of days who quoted Thomas Merton. And I think this is actually a really good prayer for parenting or learning how to do homestead skills or homeschooling or anything because the opposite of faith is certainty. And the truth is we're all just children doing our best to figure life out. And Thomas Merton said, my Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I don't see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are ever with me and you'll never leave me to face my perils alone. That really reminds me of the Heidelberg Catechism question one. Like, I am not my own. I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Because even though we're just talking about homemaking here or learning home skills, I think sometimes when we approach anything, whether it's homeschooling or parenting or homemaking, with this idea that there's one right way to do it, and if we don't get it the right way, then we're going to be rejected by God, it creates so much unhealthy pressure and takes away the joy of it. But if we look at any acquisition of knowledge, whether it's how to be a better parent or how to be a better mother, how to be a better homemaker, whatever it might be, how to be a better business owner, how to create restoration in our culture, when we approach these questions, not so much with the idea that I can get this right, but that I am co-laboring with God to be an image bearer with God. And it's okay if I make mistakes because I'm his child and he loves me. And he's working with me just like we would work with our children. I think it takes a lot of the pressure off and makes it a lot more fun. Definitely. I have another one of the questions for you. I'm going to pivot away from homemaking here because there's a few questions on Christmas. And one of them was, how do I balance homeschooling with enjoying and savoring the Christmas season? Oh, I love that question so much. I, I hope people will listen because I want so badly for people to understand how simple education is. Because, you know, even I'm going to talk, for instance, about my youngest, my youngest student, he has been my hardest student, really. There's lots of factors involved. I don't quite understand after, you know, knowing so much and trying so hard, why he's been a hard student, but, but really very difficult. And yet he's, he's in uh, a public charter school this year taking some classes in person and some classes online. I don't recommend public charter schools. It's just what we're doing this year. And he's doing great. Like he's managing his classes despite really being a little bit behind. But what he wasn't behind in is hearing a lot of beautiful stories, having the ability to think, having wonder and interest and joy and delight in his early childhood years. And and there's you know, I think about some of my older students, like my, your younger brother, my oldest son, he had the real worst 
of my homeschooling because the younger ones I put a lot more energy into. I didn't have like babies to take care of. And so I just kept moving along with them and they had even more outside help and co-ops and lots and lots of beautiful stories and more attention in some ways. Whereas you, you know, my oldest son, he was right in the middle. So I was giving attention to the oldest, you and your sister, your sister had some disabilities. So I was working with her and then there's all these babies. So he, he didn't get a lot of one-on-one teaching, but we did, you know, very consistently read out loud every day, very consistently did some math and some writing every day. And he really didn't write like a first full essay until junior high or high school even, but he transitioned just fine, graduated summa cum laude, and he's a wonderful adult who's managing his life and um, still continues his self-education. And so I think that, you know, John Taylor Gatto talked about how all the learning needed for success in high school can be accomplished in only two or three years of formal study. You know, and even yourself, like you, I didn't teach you in high school, you taught yourself and you're going for a PhD, a, a JD in um, decentralized finance. Like I can't even hardly read your papers and understand them. And yet I homeschooled you through high school, sort of. And so I think that it's important for parents to understand that if you create a culture of learning where you read books together, you talk about them, you discuss life, you discuss situations, you do some writing and some math every day and really stay awake to wonder, like if your child wants to take a little break at Christmas and do more crafts, there's a lot of STEM learning involved in making crafts or baking. There's a lot of science, a lot of um, chemistry and experimentation and trial and error. There's so much learning that comes when you ditch the formal schooling for a month and do a lot of baking and experimenting and crafting and reading wonderful books together. We have our new peaceful press book flood that has every day something to make something to some kind of an active game and then a piece of art or poetry or a song or folk song to listen to every day. And you could do something as simple as that and then give your children just some time to craft and see what develops. Because I think so often parents overschedule their children's academic time and then they don't really have any deep understanding. They get good at reading something and spitting out the right yes or no or a multiple choice answer, but they don't really have a worldview. They don't really have uh, any kind of depth of thought or soul in a sense. Whereas when we switch gears to a more Charlotte Mason style education that I talk about in the course, The Peaceful Path to a Living Education, then you can switch gears and slow down at Christmas and nothing is lost because the core elements of the education are still happening. They're still, you know, maybe playing a math game, reading aloud, composing poetry or reading poetry, doing some copy work. So I think for sure, taking a slower time at Christmas, you're not going to miss out on anything because your children are always learning. I think that's great. And I was just talking to a friend who's working at a company with a lot of what we would consider elite college graduates. So graduates from Stanford, from um, MIT, and um, like UC Berkeley. And they were talking about how even though they're working with these like really kind of highly ranked social standing people, a lot of them who are with higher degrees in them. So they have like a bachelor's and people with master's and PhDs. Um, because the person I was talking to has maintained a level of creativity 
and a willingness to make decisions, they're actually in charge of projects that has them overseeing people who are better qualified than them, but who simply lack like those two attributes. And I think Christmas is, it's just a, a beautiful time of year. And I think having these sort of built-in breaks as well, where you kind of step back and you do release um, some of the daily grind and expectation for academic work and enjoy some of the the whimsy of the holiday and the baking and the stories and and having this kind of ebb and flow also gives your child um, a break. And I was also just listening to a podcast today and they were talking about how the most successful people are not those who have a highly structured day, but are those who have large swaths of time where there is unscheduled leeway for thinking, for creativity, for for doing, and that the the people, the influencers that you see on Instagram who are like at 3.45, I wake up and 3.47, I'm doing push-ups and, it, you know, by five o'clock, I've had my first, you know, green drink of the day and so forth and so on actually are not the ones who are truly creating um, the innovations that are driving their account and just the importance of that downtime. And so thinking about sort of the season of Christmas as also being that that downtime that your child might need to spark creativity and also to rest I love that so much, Emily, because one of the things I think we underestimate as families is the importance of quiet for getting the best ideas. Like in history, I think a lot of the really beautiful art and music and compositions and music and and writing even came when people had time to think and wonder. You know, one of the mottos for the peaceful press is earth is crammed with wonder and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. And if we overschedule ourselves to the point where we have no time to be contemplative, then I don't think those creative ideas are going to come to us. But if we, on the, on the flip side, take time with our children to, you know, read a piece of poetry and then just sit there listening to beautiful music together, or just sit and look at the fire together or take a nature walk and, and have things be quiet and still as you walk through a forest and listen to the birds and listen to the creek running I think there's so much opportunity there for those beautiful ideas to come to us because we're open to them. We're like, here am I, God, send me, as opposed to being those people like Elizabeth Barrett Browning describes, you know, um, those other ones, the ones who don't take off their shoes and listen to God, the ones who just keep on picking their blackberries and ignoring God. Yeah, totally. It's beautiful. Um I have another question actually related to Christmas, and I think this is a great one to move on to. And it's the question was, how do you incorporate so much peaceful Christmas material into one month? Do you suggest building your own month or just using one guide? And this is in reference to the Peaceful Press Christmas Guide Volume 1, Volume 2, and then also the Christmas Book Flood, which is a new Peaceful Press picture book advent guide, and then also the Unearthing Wonder. Yeah, I love that question because we definitely don't want everyone to use every resource all at once. Even families, you know, there's a lot of families who are, say, using the Kind Kingdom and the Peaceful Preschool or the Playful Pioneers and the Peaceful Preschool. And really, with any of our guides, the simpler, the better, because we want you to have that margin to really be present with your children. Because when you cultivate an atmosphere where you are present and you are calm, it makes it easier for your children to learn when you get frazzled and then you snap at your kids or things like that. It activates fight or flight in your children and it makes it a lot harder for them to pay attention 
and to be peaceful and to be good listeners. And so, and to learn, nothing gets retained when we're scared. And so when we can keep that atmosphere more peaceful by scheduling a little bit less schoolwork, Christmas stuff, whatever it is. So I would recommend, you know, just pick one guide, do the peaceful preschool Christmas guide, volume one or volume two for a whole month of learning with say preschool through early elementary, even though some of the phonics and counting in those guides will be review for early elementary students, the make uh, kind of the art and practical skills and motor skills activities are really fun for all ages. But then if you do have more like elementary and up, go ahead and do the peaceful press book flood as like a morning time or kind of a Christmas celebration resource. Even if you're not homeschooling, that'd be a really fun maybe after school or just do it over Christmas break. And then the stories could be read, you know, in the evening as your bedtime story, or even you can do the YouTube read aloud with the peaceful press book flood. But then I would add more of a spiritual advent guide, like unearthing wonder is paired with a book called all creation waits. And we just aired an episode with Gail boss, who is the author of that book. And it's just such a beautiful story of animals waiting in winter There's also a picture book version that's almost like a little poem for each day of the month of December. And then Unearthing Wonder has you read kind of a commentary that ties that animal story with one of the stories of the nativity, stories working their way up to the birth of Jesus. And there are some sweet family activities like evaluating what of your Christmas traditions are life-giving and what are life-draining. And just really drawing together as a family. So I think choosing just one of our four fine Christmas guides and then maybe pairing that with Unearthing Wonder would create a really peaceful, beautiful holiday season. When it comes to the Christmas guides, those are actually ones that I do wish were around when I was younger because they look very fun. And I love Christmas. I know that not everybody has the same kind of relationship to it, but it is definitely one of my favorite seasons. Yeah. And I'm glad, you know, a lot of the things in there are like, I don't remember when I first reading, first started reading Christmas Day in the morning. Like you were probably already a little bit older. I don't know if you remember that story about a boy who goes out and milks the cows for his dad and then sneaks back into bed. And his dad's just so moved by his gift of love. There are so many beautiful stories, but then even just traditions like, you know, studying a orange with cloves or making sugar cookies together. And you don't have to do everything every Christmas. I have an episode that aired a little while, maybe a few weeks back about Christmas planning. And I talked about just, you know, choosing maybe just some highlights to do if you don't feel like you can do something special every day. I know every family is in a different season and you're not a bad mom if you don't do Christmas school every single day. Just do what you can do with peace and joy. 